Welcome back to the Clarinet Podcast. Before we get started, I want to remind you that for a few more days, it is Listener Appreciation Month here on the show, and you can enter to win a Bakun Protégé clarinet in Cocobola wood with gold keys and six Leger reeds of your choice. This prize is worth over 3000 US dollars. I want to thank our amazing sponsors for making this giveaway possible, but also most of all, I want to thank you for listening to the show now for over five years. And this is episode 150 today, which is a huge achievement both for me as a podcaster, but also for you as a listener. That's a lot of hours spent listening to the Clarinet Podcast, and I thank you for joining me along this journey. So if you want a chance to win that amazing prize, head to clarinet.com slash enter. That's clarinet.com slash enter. Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 150 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. On today's episode, I'm joined again by two wonderful listeners. We have Dennis Kwok, and he has just finished up his university training and shares some tips for getting started as a freelancer and how to get a diversified work portfolio going early on in your career. He also just finished his recording of a solo CD project, which you can check out at his website, which we'll share with you later in the episode. And also today we have Eric Batchelder, who is a longtime listener of this show for close to five years now and has now made the decision to go on to music for a career in college. So congratulations, Eric, on your acceptance into college education as a musician. And uh, even though he's just starting his career, he actually shares some really great advice for young students on how to get the best out of your current lessons and some tips for getting into auditions. So I want to thank our 77 Patreon backers for making the show possible. If you want to get access to ad-free extended versions of the show, you can do this for as little as $1 per month or just $10 per year at clarinet.com slash subscribe. Also, thank you to our sponsors. You can take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. For Canadian customers, be sure to check out the new store that allows you to pay in Canadian dollars. And for everyone listening, I have an exclusive coupon that lets you get 10% off any purchase. Just use code CLAIRNEAT at checkout at bakunmusical.com. That's code CLAIRNEAT at bakunmusical.com. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Leger Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Leger artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Corrado Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Leger.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. I'm here today with Dennis Kwok, who is back on the podcast. He first came on for a listener lightning round a couple years ago, and I want to welcome you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So a lot has changed since last time. So why don't you give us a bit of an update about what you've been doing? And um, I think the first time we chatted, you were you had just headed off to start your one of your degrees, and now you're through that. And why don't you give us all an update? Yeah, so um, I uh, finished um, my bachelor of music at Humber College last April. So it's been about exactly a year since freelancing in Toronto. Um, so. I moved permanently to Toronto and have been freelancing uh, for the past year, and uh, it's been it's been good. Um, really tough, kind of navigating the world of things, but uh, it's been it's been good. Like making music and uh, being able to make a living through music, luckily. And um, I, I guess that's that. So, what have you found has helped you kind of break into the scene in Toronto? There, do you feel like you're still kind of in the process of that? 
Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing uh, was all of the every bigger gig that I was getting from month to month came from uh, a sub or a sub call. So someone would pass my name up to sub for them. And then if I did a good job, whoever was in charge, whether as a musical director or a band leader or anyone or another uh, musician, they would be like, oh, uh, you did a good job on this. Well, I have this other thing coming up um, and I need someone. And since you're here, uh, it, it's just convenient to ask someone. So like, yeah, so breaking in the scene has mostly just been a little bit of patience, uh, a little bit of luck uh, and being being in the right right time right place right time um and the other thing was just uh being available enough that i could take on a last minute sub thing um i found that a lot of the time um uh a gig would come up maybe with a day or two's notice um and if i was too busy working let's say uh like um yeah teaching anything else basically um then i would have to say no so uh just keeping that balance between uh, having enough stability and having enough uh, time off to be able to take on these last minute sub things has been, uh, I guess, the key. Yeah, so. I think that's that's actually exactly what I was doing when I first decided back in 2012, because um, I graduated in 2009 and I spent kind of three years working and doing odd jobs. And in 2012, I decided I wanted to be basically a yes man. Like if anyone needed anything for, for performance or clarinet, I could say yes. And my way of finding that um, was to actually start teaching a lot more because then it's very easy to move your students and say yes to some gig even at last minute but it's not very easy if you're working for another person right to do that so um, it's really great to hear that you've you've also kind of found that same thing what resources have you found along the way that have helped you to sort of discover how to better freelance or connect or learn about this economy um, I think it's just talking to other freelancers, especially uh, people a couple of years out of school and um, even, you know, five, 10 years ahead and just pick their brain. What I found is, um, so I was hanging with uh, Alison Au, Juno Award winner, saxophonist uh, last summer. And mm -hmm. uh, she's, she said the same thing. She was saying that she was, when she was fresh out of school, um, she didn't know what was going on and then did a cruise ship contract like pretty like that fall. So a couple months later, and then, um, it, you know, so even people like that who are, who are very successful in the music scene now are like, yeah, like right out of school, it's just like, it's going to be tough for a little while, but every month it gets a little better. Um, and, uh, you know, just, it's good to stay as busy as you can, but also don't be afraid to do other jobs to make ends meet. So over the summer, um, you know, I was talking to people fresh out of school and they're like, oh, yeah, like I did these odd jobs um, and I did this thing just to keep afloat. And uh, so last summer I, I busked a lot. I ended up doing a flyer route. Um, uh, I had a church gig for a while. So, so, yeah, like a whole bunch of things until the income kind of settled and I could break even on just music related things. Well, you know, I think it's sometimes a very American kind of philosophy, but there is a lot of truth to it that it doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, there's a great honor to being able to earn a living. Right. And it's funny because I look back on a lot of the stuff that I did when I was in, in university because I was not, you know, riding on a ton of money from my parents or something like this or living off scholarships. You know, I had to work as well. And um, I did everything from working as a dishwasher in a restaurant to to working in a cafe or a coffee shop. Um, I did car work, like I did all sorts of stuff. And mm -hmm. I mean, I actually look back on all, a lot of that stuff with, with, um, I don't know if 
pride or pleasure is the right word. I'm trying to think of the right word, but, but every one of those odd jobs taught me something, which I now use in my either day-to-day life or my career in some strange way. Like it's surprisingly important to know how to make a great cup of coffee, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. So for sure. even if you're out there listening and you're a lot of students right now would normally be going into summer work, um, of some sort, I don't know what's going to happen this year, but I mean, try not to look at these jobs as, as like, oh, I have to do this until I can do this allegedly better thing. Like try to learn something either about business or interacting with people or some skill, anything. I mean, even the restaurant I worked in, I mean, I didn't wash dishes for long, but right away I was making sandwiches and learning about frying food. And, and I still enjoy cooking more to this day because the stuff I learned there. So mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and one of the things is like, I remember being in school and it was like, oh, well, all I want to do is to be a working musician, not necessarily mm. to be like, you know, the, the top call, whatever, um, anything or like to, to be recognized in this way. It's like just to work. And now that I'm looking back, it's like, I well, I'm breaking even doing music things. And that's, I guess, what I wanted is to just work as a musician. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it's important for us to just take a step back and be like, okay, well, we're able to find a career doing this. And that's, that's pretty fortunate already. I remember looking back now, cause I'm not really freelancing anymore. My career has taken some sort of odd turns here, especially hurt my hand. And I've been doing all this, you know, yeah. stuff I never would have thought with the podcast. And so things really, really changed. Um, but I remember back when I was freelancing too, it sometimes was interesting for me to talk to people because they, they couldn't believe that you could make a living playing clarinet in a, prairie city in canada <laughs> it's yeah like, well, yeah what do you mean you how do you pay your bills like that how are there enough people to sustain it it's interesting because once you build a client base like with some teaching and lessons and gigs and just various things i mean it's surprising how many things come up and, and how specialized you are how many people need that service you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah one thing that's definitely come up especially through uh the humber college program is um like uh music technology and and how big that's been uh, a big part of um, what things are kind of becoming now, like not just social media, but like home recording and um, like producing um, uh, and um, just a, a video. Video has become a really big thing um, that I, I've started kind of exploring my own time. And that's kind of exploded into well, especially now, um, like a yeah. lot of people want to do their virtual projects and multi-tracks. And um, I'm kind of thinking, oh, well, I've been doing that. I can help people uh, do multi-tracks. And um, mm-hmm. so it j- just like weird skills like that kind of being relevant now instead of the whole um, conservatory training where you're like, OK, well, you need to be good at your instrument. You need to learn this repertoire. You got to um, this is this is how you land an addition. Uh, but they, they don't really tell you like the music business. Did your program have any kind of music business or technological element to it like that then? Or did you feel that was maybe not as there as it could have been? We definitely had a little bit of it. We touched a bit of it. So we had a music business course, but it was only, um, I guess it was two, it was was a year of marketing and a year of business, but it just kind of touched on the very basics. And we did have a uh, music technology course that um, you could dig into a little deeper if you wanted to. But I I feel like... um, Nowadays, if you if you have some sort of experience with working in a DAW or digital audio workstation, it kind of sets you sets you apart um, just to have that familiarity with music technology and and recording even because, um, you know, none of us uh, have easy access to uh, kind of the studio experience now. 
Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, you know, mostly grant funded or you're playing on another project. But, you know, most people don't have work as a as a session musician anymore. So just having that recording experience, even at home, um, I feel like has opened up a lot of doors. Well, it can seem so simple, like, oh, I'm just going to make a quick YouTube video about how to do something. But you start to quickly realize the number of takes required and editing skills. And even just for me, the big thing to learn about has been lighting. It's amazing mm. how complicated lighting is for a video. And if you don't want your video to look like crap, you have to invest a lot in a lot of time in this. And I still haven't really figured it out. But it, it's funny, though, because I, I think back and um, I don't feel like it's been 11 years since I graduated, but it's been a while now. And and looking back, that program at the time didn't have that much technology stuff. But for some reason, I was very interested. So because of my interest, luckily, I was able to experience a lot of like recording and using mm -hmm. a DAW and like I took some electroacoustic music classes and things like this. But for the average person, they didn't have any of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I just was wondering if maybe that's changed in the last 10 years, if you're kind of forced to take things like that or. Um, I think there's definitely a, a, a couple programs that are really uh, pushing forward, like what what is the industry doing and what does a, a working musician need now? But also a lot of um, programs that don't and are very kind of traditional, uh, you know, uh, performance style programs that, that that don't really touch on these subjects. Like mm -hmm. a, a friend of mine at um, U of T was doing her master's recital and was asking me, oh, um, I'm doing this ele uh, electroacoustic piece for for microphones and a soprano saxophone. Well, uh, how does this work again? And it's like, okay, well, here's the, equi <laughs> here's the equipment you'll need. Um, here's how it, here's how to wire it and all these things. So um, definitely um, something that uh, some, some schools definitely don't touch on. Um, and yet is, is such a big part of music nowadays and how we also consume music. And so how much in a normal month before this whole COVID stuff, how much of your work or your income would be based on kind of your, your technical knowledge instead of, you know, direct saxophone or clarinet playing? Um, it comes in waves. Yeah. Uh, one of the surprising things that I ended up doing was, so I engineered a uh, friend's uh, quintet recording that just came out um, recently. So that that's one thing that was like, oh yeah, I can engineer a recording. Like um, I'll give you a cheap rate on it because I don't do this a lot. Um, and then I ended up uh, doing copyist work for a uh, an arranger for a, a fairly large orchestra. And so that came out of nowhere because I knew the other copyist who was unavailable. Um, and also because I had experience with working in Sibelius or, um, so he would just send me his Sibelius file and be like, Hey, make this look good. I'll pay you this much for it. Um, and then nowadays I, uh, I'm working on like a big virtual chorus, virtual, um, uh, so all of that kind of, you know, it, I, I don't think these opportunities would have come up if I wasn't exploring these uh, kind of music technology things. But so I'm not doing it. Uh, I, I'm more so doing it on the side. But when the opportunity comes, it's like, well, um, I wow. have this skill set. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. When you got to take opportunities as they come, even if they're not quite what you imagine, because like you have to realize that your career is going to be different than that of your teachers and mentors. And, you know, in a way, lucky for that, right? You wouldn't want the exact same career. But when I was younger, I thought I'd be playing in orchestras and maybe teaching at university and things. I could never have imagined that I'd be, you know, hosting a podcast and, and working yeah. with online sales for Bakun and stuff like that. Like it's, it's all stuff that's very interesting to me, but I just couldn't have imagined any of it. So, mm -hmm. but if I wasn't open to opportunities, 
I'd still just be shedding trying to win an orchestral job. Maybe I'd have one. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. but things would be different, right? So, but <laughs> I sure. think that taking opportunities and exploring new directions and being able to freelance in the way that you want um, is a really kind of cool thing. So one of the things about freelancing, and maybe you're approaching the stage, maybe you'll have this stage come up in the future. Um, but there's several stages to me. The first one is kind of this sort of yes man idea. And the second one is more like figuring out the stuff you really want to do and, and kind of specializing and uh, charging more appropriately maybe for that stuff and starting to say no to things which you can't really fit in anymore. So um, do you feel like when you do have that happen or if you're having that happen, what are the things you think you're going to gravitate towards and try and sort of focus your freelancing efforts on? So in the past, uh, especially in January and February, um, I was booking uh, community theater. Uh, mm-hmm. musical theater and um i was and i was subbing for a lot of double read chairs so i think that really like was something that i i had a lot of interest in um so like this this whole doubling thing especially uh here in the greater toronto area it seems to be that um if there's a big broadway show going on tour it's usually going to hit up toronto if it's going on an international tour so i feel like long term goals i'd like to do that but um the, this this community theater thing is kind of like a nice step up into it because it still pays yeah. and it's it's relevant and I'm kind of carving a niche out for uh, the person who plays double reads but also plays um, a very classical clarinet and uh, like a pop saxophone sound because um, sometimes sometimes that's what's required because um, well, I guess that's one of the so, things that started happening to me was that I would be saying yes to everything but then because I was getting so many calls to do stuff. I was spending so much of my time rescheduling or canceling stuff that I started to realize that I just should have said no to <laughs> so I could yeah. trust that the other stuff would come. Right. So for me, it was more interesting to do a performance gig um, than it would be to, you know, teach a private lesson, for example. Mm-hmm. So I would find myself always yeah, subbing stuff out or, or just constantly working to to reschedule. So. Um, I guess it, part of the freelancing thing for me was to like just have the confidence to be like, you know what? I know the work is coming. I can say no to the stuff that I truly, that doesn't kind of lead me down my path, if that makes any sense, you know? Yeah. And I, I felt like after a certain time, I started saying no to um, stuff that just like uh, stuff that wasn't quite polished enough, like uh, stuff that required like really extensive rehearsal for like not a lot of uh, like payback or or it just like wasn't prepared enough. So mm-hmm. I was like, uh, well, like I, I appreciate you calling me to um uh, be on your project but i feel like someone um else may benefit more from this just because let's say let's say the the rehearsal time was a lot like a big commitment um or um like it it, it, it didn't pay enough that month so yeah I, you know i, I think that it, there yeah there becomes a point in the freelancing where where you it's it's just like you'd like to say yes uh, to everything, but, um, it, it becomes not as worth it, especially now. Um, like I also, as a band leader, I want to kind of respect other people's time, uh, compared to how much they get paid, for example. So like, uh, and I'm kind of realizing that a lot of, a lot of professionals, like they've worked so hard on their craft that, uh, I don't want to be over rehearsing them if I don't have to for not enough money, because, uh, sometimes the gig will pay, 20 bucks. Yeah. Well, we yeah. had this situation locally too. I won't say what group it is, but I mean, they advertise themselves as a semi-professional wind ensemble. And then they have like 11 rehearsals 
and uh, it's just insane, you know. And none of it's paid, of course, because they they yeah. aren't. And so I I used to just say, well, yeah, I can make the you know the dress in the concert. Um, I don't need to go rehearse whole second suite or whatever they're playing. Like it'd be nice yeah, to sit down yeah. and play with them when these people, but but they want you to show up to all this crazy stuff at crazy times that you know the people who are actually doing music freelancing can't come to. Um, mm-hmm. so I remember back then saying, look, I mean, why don't you guys try some, some daytime rehearsals and, oh, we can't, we all have jobs as teachers and things. I'm like, well, then this isn't going to work for the, <laughs> the people who are actually freelancing. Cause we're busy at night, you know? Yeah, yeah. So anyways, it was just kind of a weird thing to be like looking at this. And, and I too am mindful of that too. If you're booking something, you don't need 18 rehearsals. And if you do, it's for you, for your conducting or something, not really for the person who you've hired to play. If they're any good, why do they need 18 rehearsals to <laughs> <laughs> to play yeah. your piece you know so you really got to respect yeah. people's time unless you're paying them i mean if you want to pay someone for 18 rehearsals go right ahead <laughs> yeah like one of the funniest things that happened on this note was uh i was playing um like one of the bigger jazz clubs in in toronto with um my colleague and friend uh chelsea mcbride's big band and mm-hmm. uh her, her original music's pretty tough um so and i was subbing in too so then uh the rehearsal was supposed to be the day before the gig and then I get an email uh, just before that weekend saying too many people are subbing out. So we're going to cancel the rehearsal, uh, show up to the gig at this time. Uh, so I was like, OK, well, first of all, I'm, I'm subbing in. Uh, there's no rehearsal, so I better practice. Um, <laughs> and the music's a little tricky. Um, at least, so, so, you know, it's just trusting the, the band you hire, especially as a, a freelance musician to well, first of all, like have have your own material together and then uh, hiring people that you trust to work on the material and show up prepared, because I, I think that's just the mentality we all have is if we if we do a good job on this one, then we'll get called back. Yeah, totally. That's that's the goal, right? To, to get called back again or get a second reference or all sorts of things. So, mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come back and chat with me today about what you're doing. And I hope you're staying safe during this whole situation is there anything else you want to share with the audience here before we wrap up if people want to listen to what i've been up to they can check it out at dennisquack.bandcamp.com new big band album toronto based everyone's under 35 new generation (laughs) big band I still fit in for one more year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny so dennis that's d-e-n-n-i-s-k-w-o-k at sorry dot bandcamp.com right that's right yeah perfect well, I'll check that out as soon as we're done here. And uh, I wish you the best during this whole situation. And I hope we can chat again soon. You as well. Have a great one. Awesome. Have a good day, Dennis. Bye. Speaking of the new generation, we now have Eric Batchelder on the show, who is, like I said at the beginning, a longtime listener who was in high school when he first started listening, but is now going on to pursue his career in music. So I'm here today on the podcast with Eric Batchelder, who's a listener from Tennessee. Eric, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me, Sean. So tell me a little bit about what got you started with clarinet. In middle school, um, once you started sixth grade, you could choose either you could go into band or do related arts. And I was one of those kids who was picked on and I wanted to get out of it. So um, I decided to do band. Um, I wanted to play the oboe for some reason. I don't know why. I just wanted to play it, but they didn't start on double reeds. And someone offered my mom a free flute or, uh, or a free trumpet or clarinet. So I was like, I'll pick the clarinet. And then... Um, it just started from there. So what do you think you're going to do in college? I am planning on studying music education at Middle Tennessee State University. Um, 
what I would really like to do, I know it's a lot. There's a lot, honestly, when I think about it, you know, there's you never know what you really want to do. But I just um, want to teach and I also want to perform too, like on the side. So what does your dream job look like? I wouldn't mind teaching band, but I would love to primarily work with like the clarinets and do a lot with like work with high school chamber groups and the clarinet section and, you know, like teach kind of younger clarinetists the strong fundamentals from the start. Because um, once I got into high school and doing more, a lot more of like competing and stuff, uh, I didn't realize how how much I was getting away with bad techniques. So it was it was a little rough sometimes, but I think that's what I would like to do is just teach clarinet and band. So what really inspired you along the way as a musician then? Because it's quite a leap to say, you know, I enjoy playing clarinet and my friends in band class to saying that, you know, I'd like that to be my career path too, right? Yeah, so what really got me going was once I auditioned for like the regionals band like in West Tennessee where my school competes, uh, I met other clarinet players who were who are amazing and they're all doing amazing things now. And I wanted to be up there with them. So it really motivated me to work a lot harder and get a teacher and just get on with it. And I, I thrived pretty well from it. Um, tell me a bit about the audition process. What was that like for you? And what were some of the challenges or things you learned? Um, so this was the first year I was actually in like consistent clarinet lessons and was like, had actually worked up a piece. So I did the message for my auditions. And uh, for one of the schools, I had to do some orchestra excerpts. So like several months in a Bands, you know, I was looking on the websites and a lot of them said two pieces. So I like contacted the professors and they were like, okay, the message is fine. But then one of the schools was like, if you can prepare two orchestral excerpts, that will be fine. But uh, the music wasn't super hard for me to work up. It was um, honestly my clarinet because I did not realize how important it is to have your clarinet overhauled. Um, a lot of it because I had just moved up from an intermediate model because I was I went to a music camp or not really it was like a pre-college kind of thing and uh everyone there had buffets and we had master classes and then some of the teachers were like oh you must be playing on a buffet you all are playing on buffets right so I was like Ugh. and I actually had intentions on buying a different kind of professional clarinet but then um the day after I bought a festival off of eBay pretty cheap and I played on it for uh, I still have it now, but I just didn't get it overhauled until recently, and I wish I had gotten it done because there, there was a lot of stuff going on uh, with my instrument that I didn't realize was the instrument. It was really frustrating because there were things that I was playing that should have been not super difficult, but it was just it was really a challenge trying to get over that. And then I, after playing on my clarinet after it got overhauled, there's like so many little things you don't realize that. It's like telltale signs for an overhaul, for sure. Yeah, it's super important to keep up with that general maintenance because one of the things that happens is, you know, the key doesn't just go from zero to broken or like a leak from, you know, zero to gigantic, right? They usually kind of creep yeah. in over time. So what ends up happening is you start to accommodate, right? And then if you're accommodating in like 50 different places, <laughs> you're in this position where you're not really sure what's right and wrong anymore. And I remember this happening to me because my last instrument actually was a, a buffet festival too. And um, I had that for like 20 something years. And it was, I still had it overhauled. Like I was playing professionally and so it was getting overhauled on a regular basis. But 
when I finally decided to start trying some new instruments, I was blown away because like, you know, an instrument that's played every day for hours for 20 years is, it's just not going to be in as great a shape um, as, as new ones. And it's just the way that it is. I mean, yeah, there's sure, a lot yeah. of talk about clarinets, whether they get better or worse with time. And I'm pretty sure that they're not like violins. Like you're not like blowing into your violin. Yeah, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you not, know? you're not, it's not getting basically expanded from whenever you play it. Yeah. 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 Not to mention like the, the, the air going through there and the swab being pulled through, you know, thousands of times and, sure. and all that kind of thing. So. So what tips do you have for other people who might be looking to go audition for college or university programs? Um, definitely look beforehand and see what repertoire and kind of stuff they're asking. See if you need to get an accompanist, um, schools. You just want to make sure that you don't have to like overload on a lot of the repertoire. If you can play the same things, definitely do that. See if there's pre-screenings. Um, definitely see if you can meet up with a professor beforehand and work with them just to see if it's a good personality fit for sure. Luckily, I I knew all of the professors that I um, was auditioning with. One of them I actually studied with privately, and the other two I knew personally. So it was it wasn't like meeting someone brand new, but definitely if you haven't met someone like if you're auditioning like out of state or somewhere, it's really good to go and tour the school and see the music program and see if it's a good fit for you for sure. So were you able to use the same accompanist for each school or how many auditions did you end up doing? Um, mine didn't require an accompanist, an accompanist oh, but right. some of my friends when they auditioned, they had to go and have one with them. Yeah, because one of the challenges too sometimes is that you think, you know, you're going to go there and do the audition and come back. But if you're in three different cities, you might have to work with three different accompanists if you need that for the audition, right? So I would definitely yeah. say try to get there more than the morning of <laughs> try and get there the day before at least so you can meet with this person and work with them because it's going to be a different experience each time and they have to get to know you and the way you are and all that too, yeah right? yeah fortunately the one playing in my recital she's playing it for free which is uh, <laughs> it's just a blessing for sure yeah because they can get, get really expensive oh yeah some schools offer um to pay a portion of your accompanist and some schools actually i think they they have other pianists who are there in their program as like collaborative pianist program or something and i think at those schools they actually make those pianists work with you as part of their credit which makes a lot of sense but when i went to school yeah we had to pay these people and uh, looking back we probably didn't pay them well enough for what they put up with for us students as far as yeah. like rescheduling and you know practicing yeah. and, and uh, being a little unprepared and stuff like that but um, i remember it being a bit of a burden that i was you know not expecting when i went into school that's for sure so yeah you got to pay these people for their time i guess <laughs> oh for sure i feel like they don't get enough credit for all the work that they do oh totally totally i always joke um because my wife plays piano and she always jokes that she has way more notes than me <laughs> if we play something together yeah. <laughs> I got 10 fingers on there they are doing a, a little bit more but um that was pretty funny that way what are some takeaways from your your teacher you said you were taking some regular uh clarinet lessons Definitely never take any of the lessons for granted because you never know. Because, you know, there are still things that from like, because I've had two previous teachers and I still value both of their what I've been taught. You know, I still apply it, but probably is just probably being humble always. It always goes a long way. So, thank you so much, Eric, for, for talking to me today. I, I really hope that you have a great time in the fall when you go thank back you. to school. Hopefully, let's hope that things work out. <laughs> 
as far yeah. as going back. So <laughs> it's been a little weird. <laughs> a tricky time, that's for sure. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Anything else you want to share before we wrap up? No, I, I just had a great time. I've been listening for years. Uh, the first time I listened, I was working a summer job. We were traveling a lot, and I think I went through all of your episodes within like two months. Oh wow! It was really. It was neat. When was it? Claire neat, yeah. <laughs> when it was, was like this? years ago. Oh, wow. I think whenever I started, I mean, I think I'd been following the page, but I just didn't have anything to listen to the podcast to. And when I got a cell phone, I was just listening and listening. It was, it was good. It was fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eric. And I hope you have an excellent, um, excellent spring here and then fall. You too. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. Before you go today, do not forget to go to clarinet.com slash enter to enter to win the Bakun Protégé Clarinet and six Leger reeds of your choice worth over 3000 US dollars. Again, that's clarinet.com slash enter. Next time, we'll be continuing Listener Appreciation Month with two more listeners. Hopefully, I get that one out tomorrow. I actually found a folder with a bunch more interviews that I remember recording in the spring. As many people are aware, I'm sure this spring was pretty frazzled and uh, I got way more of these episodes in the can, so to speak, than I remembered having done. So uh, I have a few more episodes like this to get out, but I do hope that you are enjoying listening to what other listeners have to say. I sure do enjoy talking with people from all around the world. I want to take a moment to thank our Patreon backers, all 77 of them, but especially those who are contributing at more than $10 a month, our gold sponsors. This is Andrew M, April J, David S, Debbie A, Glenn K, Jason S, Josh N, Karen D, Miguel D, Patty S, William L. and Robert W. Thank you so much to all of you for helping support the show behind the scenes. And if you want to get access to an ad-free extended version of the show yourself, you can do this for as little as $1 per month at clarinet.com slash subscribe. Of course, thank you to our wonderful sponsors. We have Bakun Musical Services, and you can save 10% on any purchase now at bakunmusical.com. Maybe it's time to upgrade your mouthpiece, your barrel, your bell, maybe your entire clarinet. And they are now actually stocking the Legere European Signature Reads as well, so you can check that out at bakunmusical.com. Don't forget to use code CLARNEET again for 10% off at bakunmusical.com when you're shopping for your next clarinet accessory or instrument. Also, we have Leger Reeds. These are really fantastic, and I just got in the mail some of these new reeds with the exciting new case design inside. I'm going to be doing an unboxing of that on YouTube. This is the year I actually really do want to get my YouTube channel going. So uh, I'm going to be doing some new content on there. And one of the first things will be the unboxing of the new Legere reed, which you can check out at the Clarinet YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Clarinet. So don't forget also to try out these reeds for yourself. I think you'll really love many things about them, ranging from the durability to the longevity to the amount of money you'll save and the amount of time by not fussing with your reeds constantly. So you can check out Legere Reads at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I look forward to seeing you next time on the show. Clarinet is the show for clarinetists.